Hello, language hackers. Benny here, welcoming you to yet another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. In this episode, Shannon and I have a discussion on mindfulness, self-awareness, and language journaling with Jessica defenke Rell, founder of French Sunnyside. As an aside, the audio quality is a little lower than usual due to some recording issues, but this is a very fascinating conversation and it shouldn't impact your enjoyment of the podcast. Some of the things we discuss are blending mindfulness, self-awareness, and languages, creating a new identity in a different language, importance of knowing your why and how it's particularly helpful when you hit the intermediate plateau, journaling in a foreign language, and going on retreats in a foreign language. And I wanted to give a quick thank you to IHSAN000, who recently reviewed the podcast and said, we share simple, valuable techniques for language learners. That's one of our big aims in the podcast, so I'm glad to hear that we're doing this. This commenter also said, if you're trying to learn a new language or restart one you put off, this is definitely the podcast for you. And if you'd like to help more language learners discover language hacking so they can find a smarter and faster way to learn language, please leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. We read every single review that's shared by our listeners. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com slash 27. And now, on to our interview with Jessica. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Today, we have Jessica from Sunnyside French. How are you doing, Jessica? I'm doing great, but it's French Sunnyside. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> French Sunnyside. My, my bad. Yeah. Um, and I'm very eager to talk to you today because as well as uh, we have many guests who, who help people with languages and who are natives of other languages, but you have an interesting spin on how you combine language learning with mental health. And um, I'm very curious to hear, like, how did this come about? Because it's it's such, if like, in my opinion, it's such a needed gap in the market. There's such an overlap in reasons that people need to be more conscious of their mental health and to be uh, more mindful of uh, how they're living their life. And um, combining this with language learning is such a unique angle. So what's how did you uh, get into languages yourself? Uh, because you're a native French speaker. I am. And how? so can you tell us a bit of your story and then how that merged with, uh, with your mindfulness practices? Sure. So it came from my own experience. Um, when I was... A teenager, really, that's the moment that I decided I would learn English. That's my first, second language, if that makes sense. So yeah, so when I was a teenager, I was trying to um, explore and heal my own feelings. And I started journaling first in my own language, which was French. But I realized that I was so conscious or self-conscious of what I would allow myself to say or to express. I was also afraid that my mother would read my journal that I ended up writing it in English, even though I was a beginner. So it was very bad English, but still did the job um, because I was then able to bring some self-awareness about what was going on uh, for me. Now, my background story um, is that I have been adopted. And so there was a lot going on 
as you can imagine, in my own mental health environment, I had a lot to process. And it's a difficult situation. You cannot really talk with your um, adoptive parents about the feelings you're going through without hurting them. So writing for me was the answer. And writing in English allowed me to express those things. So overcome them. And as well, to develop my inner voice in English. So that at the same time, I became fluent and I got to discover who I could become, who I could be, how can I be more myself than in the language that I'm molded to be. So that's how it started. It's my own experience, right? So I was able to discover um, who I was, what I believe in, what I desire, what I'm angry about, all those emotions as well, and also develop my self-confidence as a person and as a language speaker, right? So a bit later in life, when I was 25, that's why that's when I was um, confronted to mindfulness. Confront is a bad word, but when I met mindfulness and I started reading about um, self-development and self-awareness, and mindfulness. And um, I guess when I started teaching French online, I was an English teacher for a long time before that, but then I moved online and teaching French. And when I did that, it took a year before I decided to blend mindfulness and self-awareness and language, languages and French, um, because it was you know, I was wondering, <laughs> people are going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's not the usual approach. But if I've had this experience, then maybe other people can have too. If I have been able to transcend my story, to heal, and to create the life and the story I want to create in my own life, because of languages, through languages, other people must too. And that's something that really that's really amazing because I met many people who have told me that languages were like a catalyst for them, were a way to self-heal, were a way, you know, either because they were able to express themselves in another language or because they were able to have like a mindful distraction, being so immersed in the language because it's, it's a high cognitive activity so that you're, you have to be present when you learn it so that you don't think about your problems anymore. <laughs> so either way... Lots of people have told me, well, languages have saved my life the same way they have saved mine. So that's how the concept was born. I think that's really interesting because I've found from my own experience and from hearing that others that a lot of what happens when someone learns a language is they learn all of these set phrases and they feel like they're parroting them back, that it's not really their own words. It's just the responses that they've learned to make in in response to what they're hearing. Whereas the methods that you uh, use for teaching languages are more introspective and kind of push students to form their own thoughts and feelings in the language, which is a really big challenge. So I'm curious what some of the methods that you use for this are to encourage students to start putting things into their own words in the language. Right. That's a very good question. Um, I think the first thing is that I don't approach language learning from a traditional aspect. And so in the courses I create or the program I create or anything I create, I'm not going to speak about um, idioms or 
structure or watch this person and copy them. Uh, but it's really a journey of discovering yourself through the language. So from day one, we are going to discuss and, and dive into who you are as a person. And um, I think it's very interesting because it allows the learners to find or to identify with the language differently. I think this question of identity is super, super important because when you're not self-aware and it's a path that we're all on, I don't think you ever arrive at the point like now I'm self-aware, but when you're, when you're, when you're not self-aware, we have a tendency to identify to many things. We identify to our jobs, our roles, our belongings, our countries, our languages. And that creates, in, in my opinion, in my experience, blockages. Um, I've seen many French students learning English and not being able to own the language, you know, to just keep their French accent and speak like this, for example. <laughs> and it's not because they're unable to do the sounds, because you are able to do them. It's not a mechanical issue. I think it's a problem of identity. We over-identify with our languages. I am a French speaker, and the only way I can speak English is with a French accent. Well, that's not true. And because we have these beliefs, we block ourselves, we limit ourselves. So that's the first thing I'm going to work with as well with uh, my learners is, well, okay, this is you as you've known yourself so far. And you're working with me, you're not going to just learn about the language, you're going to learn about yourself and discover who you can be in that language. So let's explore that together. How do you feel when you hear French? What's the love story behind? What's the feelings in your body? What emotions arise when you hear a poem or a song? What do you like? What don't you like? And I think it's absolutely fascinating when you see that um, some of my learners have told me we talk about different aspects of self-development of, you know, I do life coaching through, uh, through French, for example, and they hear concepts or thoughts that they've heard before in their own language, but somehow it makes a different sense because we do it in French. They have a different approach. So even when you speak about, um, subjects or topics or, you know, events even in your own life that you've already spoken about at length in your own language. The fact of doing it in this new language that you're trying to make your own shows you a new perspective on the same thing, which allows you to understand it better. So I think because the whole approach that we're testing and experimenting is not about the language, but about you in the language, it helps them not give me a you know, expected response to that sentence. It's not about repeating or imitating anything. It's about listening within and just trust yourself and go <laughs> and speak. I love this idea because I think too, when you use a different language, the words that you use would be different than in your own native language. And so it can help you kind of reframe the way that you're thinking about things because your word choice is going to be so different. Um, I mean, there was an example earlier when you were talking um, about being introduced to mindfulness and the word that you used. It's a different word than you may have used in French, or maybe the French word would have a slightly different meaning. And I just love this idea of, you know, creating a new identity in a new language. Um, one of the questions that often comes out of this is, 
do you think differently in a different language? Do you feel that you think differently in another language? I think yes. And I think we do. And I think that's what's beautiful about it. Um, you know, I used to think when I was younger, I used to think, oh, it's like you have a different personality. And this is, you know, something that we've talked about extensively in all uh, language platforms. Oh, we are a different person or it feels like it's a different personality in a different language. I think it's about expansing, expanding, sorry, <laughs> expanding who you are. It's about creating a space for every language you learn and not just that you learn for two weeks, like each language you connect to and, and yes, and own, you create a space in you to expand, to grow. You, you don't lose yourself. You grow <laughs> yourself. Um, and I do feel different, um, in the different languages I speak. Um, I'm an introvert and I'm more of an introvert in French than I am in English. I'm more self-confident in English. I'm much more talkative in Italian. And of course the hands come around and, you know, I just want to speak about holidays and gelato. <laughs> I feel sexy in Spanish and, and that, that's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. So I'm, I'm in terms of my own self-development, for example, I'm exploring uh, being connected to my body and healing my relationship with my body through Spanish. It's really interesting. And I think there's a, there's certainly a big element of self-acceptance and getting over your own barriers um, that you're putting in your own way when it comes to learning a language. One way that I've, I've looked at this myself that I see some overlap is I've always thought to myself that I should embrace making mistakes and I should be comfortable with sounding like an idiot, as it were, at the beginning stages. And I think you, you go into that a bit yourself. You talk about um, creating a kind of a safe space for yourself in, in a language. So there's a, a lot of this overlap, I feel, that in um, embracing, uh, uh, like not necessarily thinking of it too academically and from a perfectionist mindset. So how, how have you applied that to the practice of learning the language and to get through like making mistakes and so on in conjunction with going easier on yourself? Exactly. So I think this is where mindfulness really um, comes in and, and brings um, the brain-friendly approach and the fear-friendly um, approach because we're all afraid of making mistakes and sounding like idiots even if we are repeatedly told that it's okay and that you should make mistakes. But I think somehow it doesn't really help <laughs> to be told that. It's like, it's okay, just make mistakes. Yes, but what does it mean about me? And that's the thing. So in mindfulness, we learn that the mind is a, is a meaning-making machine and that it's, it draws conclusions about yourself and about the world all the time. Um, and also because of evolution, it looks for danger, potential danger. And so that you react to danger with fear. So it's a flight or fight response, which is absolutely fascinating because you're going to react the same way, whether there's an actual tiger in the room or whether you have to speak Spanish with a native speaker. <laughs> Although I hope that they won't eat us. So there's the same part of the brain that's activated, which is the amygdala. And in mindfulness, you practice being present in the moment. So it's really about, so mindfulness, sometimes people think, oh, it's something, you know, spiritual 
or it's a religion. It, there's a spiritual approach to it, but you don't have to be spiritual to practice it. And mindfulness so reminds you that it's about being here now, aware of what's going on and accepting of what's going on by bringing compassion to yourself. So and compassion is really important because when you do have that fear of making mistake and you're told that you shouldn't be afraid of making mistakes, but you still are, there's an automatic voice that says, what's wrong with me? <laughs> I shouldn't be afraid of making mistakes. And yet here I am. So why are people not afraid of that? And I am, and what's it mean? And maybe I'm a loser. Maybe I'm not good at this. And you have the whole, you know, um, mental, <laughs> what is it like? I don't have a word for it, but... Okay, the voices are the, the kind of kind of like a mental block. Yeah, uh, the, the 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 devil on your shoulder whispering the bad words to you. The yeah. inner critic is here, loud and in <laughs> yes, loud and clear. So mindfulness grounds you back here and allows you to see the truth of what is. Yes, you are afraid. Is the danger real though? <laughs> well, not really. What's the worst case scenario? Like, are you in danger of dying right now? Not really. And this is really about soothing yourself. So you're afraid and that's okay. And I allow the fear to be present, but because I'm also aware that there's no immediate danger of death, then I can also be brave at the same time as I'm afraid. And that's how it works. And it's also about um, talking to yourself, to yourself the same way you would talk to a friend. You know, we tend to be so much harder on ourselves than we would be with someone actually learning our language, for example. Let's try to have that kinder inner talk, but encouraging ourselves to take risks, not to stay in this comfort zone, but like, it's okay, you can do it, you know, go ahead. It's just, it's, it's like negotiating with your ego really <laughs> so you had mentioned that mistakes are one of the biggest kind of stumbling blocks for learners but as a teacher and a learner yourself I'm sure you've encountered some others so what would you say some of the other things that kind of come up and block us from language learning are and what would your advice be to someone who's facing that block yes so I would say the first blockage is um, when people are not really aware of why they are learning the language and, or they are <laughs> choosing a why, a reason to do it that's an external motivator. Uh, like I'm going to learn that language because it's going to help me get a promotion or something that's not from inside, but more like an external um, gain. To me, it's a blockage because I see that people would only go that far. And when it gets hard, because it, okay, when it gets harder, <laughs> I don't want to say, I, because I, I disagree to say that languages are hard to learn. I think that they can be easy to learn um, as well. But at some point, you know, of course, when you're a beginner, you're going to make tremendous progress really fast. And then when you enter the intermediate zone, it's, it gets frustrating. So when it gets frustrating, when you hit that plateau, and you don't know exactly why you're doing this, but like, or your why isn't deep enough to push yourself, that's going to be uh, a blockage because change, we resist to change. Everyone resists to change. And the only thing that moves us forward is the fear of not changing. It's like, if you're more afraid not to change and you're afraid of changing, then you're going to do the work. 
But if it's the opposite, or if you don't know why anymore, and you tend to forget why, like the mind is really, really strong, say, oh, you better quit. Like, it's not that important. Well, yes, it is, because I'm learning Spanish, because I've identified to that language when I was younger, and it's giving me an opportunity to reconnect to my body, and it's something super important for myself. So I am going to push, even if subjunctive is bringing me issues right now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and another another tool that um, you recommend to people, of course, is because of your own experience in journaling in English, you've actually um, come up with a course even in how to journal through French. And uh, a couple of our Fluent Three Months challengers have actually used it and they found it very useful. So what I'm curious is if somebody isn't necessarily, because when I think about journaling, I imagine, especially if I'm journaling my deepest uh, fears and emotions, that it's something I would have to be very skilled in the language for. So how, what kind of prompts do you give people and how do you help them to get around their, um, their lack of the skills to talk as deeply as they'd like, but still be able to express their emotions in the language? Right. Um, that's a very, very good question. So that program that I run is for intermediates, uh, definitely. It doesn't mean that uh, journaling is not accessible for beginners, but I would have a different approach, definitely, uh, with beginners than I have um, with intermediates. So um, the prompts vary according to different themes that either we discuss with the participant or at some point I was running different themes for um, different months. I think how deep you're going to go will depend on how comfortable you are with the language. I give the prompts and then below I give um, a few words that are a bit more advanced so that you would have to try and use them. It's not an obligation, it's a suggestion, but you have to try and use them so that you push yourself um, a little bit. And so the first thing I recommend and it's actually the beauty of journaling in a in a foreign language is to you have to simplify you're right you cannot express yourself in journal about deep emotions or past traumatic experience or past positive experiences because journaling is not only about the negative stuff in your life thank god <laughs> it's also about the, the positive we do some anchoring through good memories and things that have been significant for you um, is to simplify. You have to simplify. And when you simplify, you bring clarity. You do, because in your own language, you know, we tend to dance around a little bit with the words. And, you, you know, before you actually arrive to the thing that you must say to have some kind of relief or to some kind of epiphany, it, you can write uh, many pages. <laughs> but when you do it in a language that you don't master, you can't. So you go straight to the point. Yes, the sentence is much simpler than it could have been, but you see it. And that's the point. And uh, have you found that uh, people who've taken this uh, journaling course and they get into doing it regularly, um, do you find that they, they make uh, significant changes in what they're able to express um, after they've done this for a while? Yes, which is absolutely wonderful um, as well. So more, because I've, I've spoken about like the, um, the benefits of journaling for yourself and your self-awareness in a foreign language, right? 
Um, but for the fluency of the language, it's also a beautiful thing. Like you say, there is progress um, because usually, again, we are advised to speak more and more when we want to be uh, fluent. And I think this works great when you're at the first stages. For example, myself, when I started um, learning Spanish, I took a tutor that I, I took, I hired, <laughs> I hired, I hired a tutor with whom I would speak every week for 30 minutes and I would make great progress there, make mistakes, bring compassion, fight the fear with <laughs> courage. And then that's it because I would make the same mistakes, which aren't a big deal because I get my message across anyway. So you keep, these mistakes become fossilized and you keep making them and you're always in you know, the stress of having to communicate and to speak and to have someone in front of you expecting an answer fast because that's how the conversation goes. And that is the goal. The goal is to have a conversation, definitely, right? But at some point, when you're in that intermediate level, I have seen that it brings great improvement to just slow down and write it and take your time to actually, you know, put on your thoughts, your emotions, your story. That's the first draft. Then go over what you've written, edit, find a better structure, use the, the passive knowledge that you have about the language, the, those things that you never say out loud because you don't, you're not comfortable with them yet, but you can in writing. You do have the time to do that in writing. And that journaling program is linked with a speaking part because we don't end that journaling. That would be <laughs> not complete. It's after they've journaled, then I correct what's left to correct. I give you know, I give them some insights about the language. I tell them, you know, this is an idiom, for example. It's better that to translate meaning over um, the form. And now you're going to record yourself telling me about what you wrote, trying to correct the mistakes. So it's at the same time, self-awareness and bringing some healing and some mindfulness into your life. And at the same time, it allows more fluency and progress. I see progress overall after three cycles of three weeks, so three months, let's say. So the journaling and speaking is one form of kind of immersion, I guess, because you're putting yourself into the language, but it's not the only immersion thing that you do. You also do French retreats. So can you tell us a little bit about that and what that's like for learners? Yes. <laughs> I'm actually... A bit sad to talk about this because I had one plant in September in Canada and unfortunately because of the global situation it's not um, happening but well it will be for next year that's completely fine so um, the language retreat idea was again not only to have a language trip but to bring mindfulness into um, the story <laughs> and so what happens typically is we spend six to seven days together in a beautiful quiet place um in quebec it was supposed it's going to be next year um an, an ancient coventry um just at the border of a lake and we start like it's like you say it's in more immersion so all the activities are in french from morning to evening even the free time is in French and it's a mixture of conversations and workshops, self-healing workshops, journaling workshops, art therapy workshops, yoga workshops and meditation together. 
and of course free time where they can explore the nature. This is really, really for me the quintessential, quintessential, sorry, the quintessential um, experience um, because it's not only for one hour a day; it's seven days, and it's really transformative. Not only for your French or for any language if you do it in another language, because I have other other friends who do it in their own languages that, that they're teaching. Um, it's like, it's like magically the participants what have been brought to think in the language and at the same time have reached some kind of transcendence of something that they have been de- struggling with in their own life or some thinking patterns that they wanted to get rid of. Um, and everything is more quiet after a week <laughs> and everyone is more centered, I would say, centered and at peace. And I'd say you, um, both in the journaling course and in this uh, retreat, you must be having very intimate discussions with, uh, with these people. And some of them may have, uh, things they've been holding in for a very long time. So like, how do you, um, how do you hold a space in your head for, for like working, helping them work through these maybe personal stories of heartache or something like that? And, um, like how, how do you separate that and also make sure that they, it's, it's helping them and that they're, they are getting a good experience out of it because, uh, it can be very difficult for some people to, to open themselves up in that way. Right. I think it's a question of, of balance. And, you know, I, I did my coaching training and something that's really, really important to know is that what you focus on expands. So it's something I, I really pay attention to, whether in the journaling program or in my coaching sessions or in a retreat, is that we're going to go deep and maybe it will bring up painful memories, like you said, but then we're going to go back to now. And that's the main difference, I think, between therapy, psychotherapy and coaching is that psychotherapy is always about, and how do you feel? And that has that impacted your life? And then, you know, you feel relieved. I don't know if you've been through therapy. I, I have. You feel relieved, but also it stays with you for the whole week before your next appointment. And that's not what we do. It's like we go there and then after we bring hope, we like, okay, now how can you change that? So that at the end of a program or a coaching session or an immersion program, you have hope for change and you know you have a plan more than hope you have a plan on how to change you have tools to progress so that no one's depressed at the end <laughs> one of the questions that we always like to ask guests on the podcast and i'm really interested to hear this from your perspective with mindfulness and everything that comes into play in both your learning and teaching what is language hacking for you that's a tough question. <laughs> I must admit, I'm not a fan of that word. <laughs> That's okay. Language hacking is taking shortcuts, I would say. Maybe I misunderstand. And if that's the, cl- the case, please correct me. Um, taking shortcuts to understand the code behind um, the language and getting there faster. Am I right? Yeah, that, that sounds good. And I'd, I'd add to that, like what is your understanding of mindfulness and language learning, if you could help us with a definition for that, since that's a a lot more up your alley. Right. Mindfulness for language learning 
is a tool. It's just a tool. It's a tool to help you be grounded in the now and to feel connected with yourself and with the language. It's a tool to allow you to have more brain-friendly learning experiences, to help you get into the flow of learning, to help you find what really feels good for you, no matter what other people are telling you. And by the way, my approach is just one vision. It's not the absolute truth. There isn't an absolute truth. And I would like people to know that, that you can listen to as many people, as many gurus, as many methods as you want. Please listen within because only you know what makes you vibrate, what brings you pleasure. And I think that's what you must follow, pleasure. It's a very, very good way of putting it. I, I like that. So, of course, um, you have uh, lots of great resources. We can point people to things like your Instagram that uh, you share a very uh, emotional uh, post there that people really appreciate. We'll make sure to send people to your site and they can uh, check out the retreat for themselves and everything else. It'll be all in the show notes. And um, I'm curious just to wrap things up. Uh, what are your upcoming projects for the, the rest of the year? That's a very good question as well. Um, what's coming up? So I've just launched um, a membership um, program, which I really love because again, it's slowing down <laughs> and um, it brings the experience for the learners who like to learn by themselves. And I know there are many, just like me, <laughs> who like to learn autonomously. So it's um, a guide, really. It's a, a monthly uh, journal that brings journaling prompts, texts, meditations, audios, for you to have the complete experience of self-awareness through the language and autonomy at the same time. So I've launched that a couple of months ago. My project is to develop that um, more. And honestly, this year, 2020, is more, most of that, more about surviving than anything else, isn't it? Um, so I, I'm not planning to launch anything else, um, this year. Lots of ideas, but I'm putting that for 2021 once I have a home. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you. We'll be sure to include all of that in the show notes for those of you who are listening so you can find it in one easy place. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank and you for everyone listening. Happy language learning. <laughs> Happy language learning. Happy language learning. In each episode, Shannon and I like to share key takeaways that you can take action on. Something you can put into play in your language learning right away. And even though these are tips implemented right away, the advice I took from this episode is sometimes that we actually need to slow down. Today, everything is go, 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 and we try to be as productive as possible and as efficient as possible while being fast as possible and as perfect as possible. But it's okay to slow down and even edit. So think about one thing you can slow down in your language learning. Take a week with experimenting and do it slower. Let us know how it goes in the comments for this episode. We hope you enjoyed this interview. We definitely enjoyed chatting with Jessica. Thanks for listening. And if you found this interview helpful, don't forget to leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. Until next time, happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.